Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Go ahead and get your Bibles open up to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 11. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 11. I'll tell you exactly where here in just a minute. I'll give you a little bit of a background because this is way too much ground for me to cover um, in 25 minutes. I have trouble covering three or four verses in 25 minutes, much less an entire chapter. Uh, But this does follow a theme through this particular chapter uh, of the Gospel according to Matthew. Um, At the time that John the Baptist was... His life was about to be accounted for. It was over. Uh, he, he had a, a weak moment where he questioned whether Jesus was really the one that he was waiting for. Because he knew he was waiting for someone. He knew that he was the forerunner uh, to uh, the Messiah. He just was, and, and we all that message not too long ago. I mean, uh, he knew of the miracles Jesus was, uh, that Jesus was uh, committing. And he knew the thing, and probably no question in his mind whatsoever but at the moment that moment of weakness where he says i really need to make sure that i didn't just waste my life i really need to make sure that this jesus is the dude that he said well jesus in chapter 11 he talks quite a bit about john before of this particular passage that he brings up in the baptist in the first first place and i can preach an entire message on this so i'm giving you some highlights that apply to the, to the latter part of the chapter jesus um, in the beginning, when he talks about John, he actually responds to John on almost, almost in a smart aleck kind of a way. He's pretty much telling him, the dead are being raised, the lame are walking, the blind can see. The... So he's, he's being very, uh, very uh, sarcastic in his response to John. But then he turns his gaze a little bit to tell the people about John. And he's talking about the way that they treated John. He's talking about the fact that John was someone who was considered an, uh, a stranger. Some people would have even considered him to be not intelligent at all because the dude ate locusts and honey and wore camel's hair. And I'm not talking about the stuff that they, that they uh, take apart and shred the, the threads of the camel hair together and make a nice little... I'm, not ta- I'm talking about skin out a camel, tan the hide, wear it. That's what the man wore. He was, to everybody, a weirdo. And Jesus is questioning, what, did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Did you go to see someone who was dressed in fine clothing? In other words, Jesus was saying, you didn't go see him because of the way that he looked. You wouldn't seen him because of what he stood in that river and preached. And what did he preach? The baptism and the baptism of repentance. Baptism of repentance. There are several different types of baptism in the Bible. The baptism of repentance was a baptism that happened, as we see, before Jesus Christ even died. This was a baptism that the Jews were actually doing, which was a commitment between them and God uh, to them re- being repentant individuals in their lives, or to turn away from the things that are not good for them, to turn away from the things. Now, some of you have heard me say, because I, I mentioned it uh, quite, a, quite a few years ago, but I have friends, four, to be honest, over the first 10 years of ministry, who were fired from their churches for even saying the word repentance or repent from the pulpit. Because that word makes people feel bad. 
Well, it's not about how people feel. It's, a, it's about the validity of our Christian life and us actually enjoying every benefit that comes with that. Now, there are people out there who have one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And those are the individuals who are roller coasters because they want everything that comes along with Christianity, but they also want everything that comes along with their own satisfaction. And you can't have both of those and be a Christian. There's a reason that Paul talked about him dying to himself, that he's been crucified with Christ, yet it is not he that lived, but Christ that lives in him. Jesus forces us to make a choice. Our first choice to trust in him is a choice of repentance. It's us being willing to admit to him that we are sinners. We're people who are, who are not perfect. We, we need you. And not one person have I ever talked to in my life who misunderstood that to mean Jesus is going to save you, but he wants you to stay the exact same person that you were before he did. How does that help anybody? Jesus is raising an army and has been for 2,000 years. And this army doesn't carry guns. Well, it's not the purpose behind the calling. We don't do things by force militarily. We've been called to be a part of an army that is continuing to recruit more individuals generation to generation after we're long gone. But one thing we don't tend to focus too much on is how did the church of today get where it's at? Don't think just because the mentality was in four churches that the word repentance is an ugly word, that it's not something that runs around out there in society too. Let's be honest. How many of you like to be told what you're doing is wrong? And let's be honest. Does it matter to you who says it? It doesn't matter whether it's a person who don't know you or it's God himself. We don't like to hear him say this is something about your life that has to change. We will reject him outright. The reality is the word repentance is a beautiful word. It's a word of restoration. It's a word of sanctification. You cannot be sanctified apart from responding to conviction from the Holy Spirit. You can't be. You ever meet a know-it-all? Just how much could you teach him? You know, when Paul said, when I came to you, I claimed to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. That's why he said that. It's truth. Largely inside the United States, we don't do Christianity. We don't. We do religion. That's what we do. And again, Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. In other words, any religion on the planet that says you have to do something in order to get to God, that's a religion. If anybody ever tells you there's something you have to do to get to heaven, you have to blow yourself up in, in, a, in a, a marketplace to give, get yourself your 72 virgins. And I'm here to tell you, folks, these are not only lies from the pits of hell, but they're everything that is keeping you from experiencing the life that God wants us to experience. Because when we see God telling us, don't, 
Don't go out and get drunk. Don't do that to your body. Don't treat people that way. We see God saying, don't, don't, don't. And to us, it's like we're a little kid who just got in trouble and he's wagging his finger at us. So when we think of God, we think of him as a parent. And a parent in the structure of, if I do anything wrong, he's going to smack me down. I have to do what I have to do or he's going to be unhappy with me. He's not going to be pleased with me. Theologically, you cannot be any further from the truth. The whole concept of unconditional love is the unconditional part. This is God literally saying, allow me to mold you and make you so that you are the person I intended you to be that will be a positive influence on culture, that will be a positive influence on people, that will be a positive influence on the kingdom, that will also be a positive influence on your own life. What's the definition of insanity? Do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? How many of us are living our lives in that little circle? Some of us, it's hard to get out of that little circle. But I can promise you this. You do the same thing you've always done, you'll always get what you got. And the number of people who come to me and say, I'm just not happy. Well, what do we, how do we fix that? I mean, are we just going to talk about not being happy or are we going to talk about how we get happy? So we seriously look at God as being this individual who uses this word repent to hurt us. Sounds pretty serious when you look at verse 20. Start with verse 20, Matthew chapter 11. Then he began to re reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which had occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. When you look at this passage of scripture, it's like, wow, he sounds pretty angry. He repeated himself like two or three times and talked about how much these individuals, how much trouble they were in. Right? But did you notice the cities that were destroyed before? He said, if they had repented, if they had seen the miracles, they wouldn't have been destroyed. They would have repented. So here's the point that he's making here, folks. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get an opportunity to repent. They made God mad and paid the price for it. You tell me, one person. Did Lot, Abraham, either one of them run in there? Thus saith the Lord. They were not a prophet to that town. A prophet's job is to go in and warn the people. Thus saith the Lord, repent or else. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get that. But you know what? I did. So did you. His frustration and his anger is, he's sitting here saying, 
you're hurting, you're doubled over, you're crying your heart out inside yourself, and I'm standing here with the antidote. Well, since when did repent be a good thing? Please don't tell me this is different for me than it is for you. I know the things in my life that I try to justify. Anybody else? And I know when they're not justifiable, the Lord is speaking clearly to my heart. I know that. Right? You all with me? How many times in a day do we tell him no? How many times in a day do we honestly not even take that conviction seriously enough to wonder what it is God's trying to do with it? You know what does it? I was going to pick on one of the girls, but come here a second, Avery. How many things do you worry about in a day? You probably can't bring very many to mind, so I'm going to bring them up and you tell me whether they're true or not, okay? Your hair. Wake up in the morning, is your hair a big deal? Before you go to school, you don't have to make sure your hair's okay? What about the way you smell? You don't care if you stink? You'll go to school stinking and not care. Probably. Probably. You go sit down. Come here, Aiden. Or I want to. Come here, Cullen. <laughs> what kind of things you worry about? Okay. Where would you say on the scale between one to ten that you would put school when it comes to something to worry about? A seven. A seven? All right. Hold on to that for me. Just hold it, though, okay? Give me something else that bug you. Is it? Did your mom ever bug you? Scale of one to ten. Two? We'll do something here. What else? Your brothers? They bug you? Scale of one to ten. Ten? Let's see what I can get here. We'll just consider this here. We'll just consider this ten, okay? You got that? What else? What else you got in life that bugs you? Do you care how you smell? Yes. Okay, where at on the, on the scale of importance would you put that? One to ten. A six. That's pretty good, too. Let's see what we can find here. Six is not quite as many as that box, but let's say this is a six. All right? So there's that. Okay. What else? What else keeps you busy during the day? I mean, what kind of things that you uh, pressures and what kind of, what else? Take up the Where would you put that one? A four? It's a pretty small aggravation. Let's take, um, let's see. We'll give this one a four. Okay. You got it? What else? What else you got? Busyness in your life just consumes you and, and uh, it takes attention and time and anything else? You're afraid to say, is it? All right, let's just say how big it is. What one thing should you be carrying with you that you don't have? Put a, put a piece of paper because it's getting heavy. Yeah. So you want, okay. It didn't help though. 
What, are you getting tired? Is your arms getting sore? You still haven't picked one thing up that you should have with you all day long. Oh, where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put it? You can sit that down, but I got uh, there's a point to make here. Okay? If I asked you guys, you can go sit down. Thank you. Give him a round of applause. Aiden was a good sport. Here's the point. If we become so busy in life that we don't think so much about our relationship with God as to communicate with him on a regular basis, to hear what he's saying to us, it's easy for our lives to be consumed. I picked Avery because with girls, I could have added like 10 things right off the bat. Because for most girls, they do care what they look like when they walk out of the house. They do care what their hair looks like when they leave the house. They do care what their makeup looks like. They care about what people think. They care about what people say. They care about a lot of things because they're emotional individuals. Now, it doesn't mean that boys don't have them too. Boys has got them too. But every frustration in life that we see with boys and girls, those translate to adults as well. And how many of you just carry so much weight that eventually and occasionally it just gets to be too much? Too much. When it gets to be too much, what's the first thing that's forgotten? And here's the deal. What's the one thing that can help us through all of these things that we decide to carry around with us? The one thing that we always seem to be way too busy to remember. The word repent, it's a beautiful word. It, it literally is. God speaking to us. I want you to consume this. God speaking to us. And him literally saying, hey, got something in your life? I'm going to make an adjustment. And all I need you to do is be willing to do it. And your marriage is going to be 110% better. Is it worth it? Would you give it a shot if he approached it like that? Well, pretty much he does approach it like that. <clears throat> We're the ones who make conviction a bad thing. We're the ones who make it look like he's standing there shaking his finger at us. The truth is, he doesn't want to put pressure on us. That's completely contradictory and counterproductive to what he's trying to accomplish. He got on to the Pharisees because people were constantly heaping weight upon their shoulders. We really don't need anybody else to heap weight on our shoulders. We're quite capable of doing that ourselves. John preached repentance as a forerunner of Jesus Christ because repentance was a big part of Jesus Christ's arrival. Repentance is a huge part of Christianity. It cannot be Christianity without it. And here's what Jesus said. I'm going to jump. We're going to go down to uh, 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. If I was to ask you how smart you are on a level of 1 to 10, how would you answer that question? 
And I mean as a human being. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Ask me how smart I am. Ten! Right? Who gets to pick the scale? Grading on a curve. That's right. Anytime anybody says that it's grading on a curve, right? How many people have you honestly, have you heard tell an honest fish story? We will grade everything on a curve. We're individuals who, we're individuals who, I mean, when it comes that right down to it, let's, let's face it, there is no single standard. Amen? If there's a single standard, then we can just lay down a list of expectations. Somebody comes to know Christ, we can put benchmarkers down. They must be here at year one, be here at year two, be here at year three. We could do that. Should we? <laughs> no, because everybody grows at different paces. But the fact is, all of us, are kneeling under the same cross. Does that mean that sometimes we need to be patient and wait on others? Yes. Does that mean sometimes others have to be patient and wait on us? Yes. But within my own perspective, I'm a pretty smart feller. Just ask me, I'll tell you. If I told you the only way that you could really learn, or I should say the fastest way for you to learn, the Bible, is for you to stay dumb. I'm not using the dumb word in a bad way. I'm, I mean to stay dumb. What would you think? I've been here 21 years, so I've said this a few times. You, you may have heard this. You may not have heard this. Every time that we... We'll do it this way, and you can do the math sometime if you want to. But if we figured it based on three services a week, fifty-two weeks a year, how many how many uh, sermon how many sermons is that? Fifty-two times three, one hundred fifty-six, right? One hundred fifty-six times twenty years. I'm not going to do that math. One hundred fifty-six times twenty, one thousand five hundred three thousand, over three thousand sermons in twenty years. Three thousand sermons. Each sermon, eight to ten hours of preparation time, Bible study time. How many hours of Bible study time goes in 3,000 sermons? Over 25,000 hours go into preparation for sermons for over the last 20 years. One trap that I've often started to slide into was you've preached this passage 15 times. You really think you're going to learn something else? Well, guess what? If I, let my brain, if I let my brain chase that line and my brain decides I'm smart enough, guess what I'm not going to do in that passage of Scripture? And I can tell you, I can tell you, 34 years as a Christian, as I've grown, the same passage of Scripture, although it does not change what it meant to me the, the time before, God always exposed more about the truth that was in that passage of scripture. And I've told you, honestly, the more that I learn about Christianity, about God, about the church, the more is revealed to me that I really don't know. So if you want to learn, you have to stay teachable. 
So even for someone who's a preacher who spent that, that amount of hours studying Scripture in preparation for things, as easy it is, as it is for me to open up the Bible at any point and say, oh, I'm familiar with that passage of Scripture, it's dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because if it puts me in a spot where I say I can't be taught anything, I really can't be taught anything. Verse 27 says, And uh, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. I want you to hear this. There is an age-old discussion about election. I just think that it's a lot of confusion based on a human being's perspective trying to look through the perspective of God. You can't surprise him. There are no secrets. He knows the future. He knows your next thought. He knows, like I said, I've met people who say, well, I'll just change my mind. It's like, but he knew you was going to do that. So there's no surprises to him. He knows where this road leads for every one of us. The whole reason he intervened was because he knew where this road leads for every one of us. The bridge is out. He built an off-ramp. But the thing is, it's not just the off-ramp of salvation that keeps, us from, that keeps us from driving off the bridge. We are quite capable of driving off the bridge any day of the week. So we don't need to look at God as if he's punishing us because we're even thinking about doing something that's wrong. We've got to look at God as who he is. He is a, he's a God who looks at us and says, productivity, no productivity. Because, and the thing is this, there are a lot of believers, people who say they trust in Jesus, they don't lift a finger. And anyone who thinks that Jesus can call you into Christianity and you don't lift a finger has some serious confusion about what Christianity is in the first place. North American Mission Board contacted me several years ago because Highland's numbers blew up so quick. Uh, after I first came here, and they said, we need to know the secret. Do you have a book you're using? Do you use using an internet website you're using? I'm like, no. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm involving people. And they're like, oh, no, no. You, there's got to, where did you, no, I'm involving people. And that's the secret. You want somebody to commit to, to commit to something, you find what their calling is in, and you commit them to it. Let them do it. Let them decide what that calling looks like and give them the space and the resources to do it and let them do it. We're pressed down by so much stuff these days. You guys hear what else is going on right now with, um, with uh, the WHO? Our, uh, our leadership in this country has decided to sign, to sign over our... Uh, uh, national uh, sovereignty to the World Health Organization. Supposed to sign the document on the 28th, but our president has already signed it. As, as soon as the WHO takes this into effect, uh, they will actually have the right to act militarily against any of the countries that are a part of that if they refuse to listen to the WHO. Now I'm going to tell you something. Don't be confused. It's not WHO, it's NWO. 
It's a new world order. That's what this is all about. It's movement towards the one, the, the global economy. It's one towards the, the global, one global nation. That's what this is headed to. The scary? Yeah. Has the potential of making you a little anxious. Besides the fact that we do carry our relationship problems around with us, we carry our schedules for the day around with us. We carry, and, and let's be honest, any of you like me, have you ever been so busy running through your day that you actually forgot to pray that day? Or you go to bed that night with so many things on your mind, the next day you wake up and realize you didn't pray before you closed your eyes? Are so busy and messed up in the head that you sit down to a meal and take a bite before you realize you didn't ask a blessing? You didn't thank him for it? Here's what Jesus said. Verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See here. I probably can't remember all these. I should have had somebody write them down for me. But we'll just pick them out. They're not going to be right because weight-wise and everything. They're just not going to be right. Come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've seen all the stuff that Aiden was holding up here, right? Come to me. I'll take away problems with your siblings. Take away your problems with mom. Problems with Worrying so much about what other people think about the way I look. Worrying about what everybody thinks about the way I smell. Have you ever bought deodorant and somebody criticized your deodorant? And I'm just one of those smart aleck kind of guy. I'm like, really? <clears throat> My deodorant offends you. <clears throat> okay, I won't wear no deodorant. <laughs> we'll see how that works out for everybody. I just did the funeral service for one of my basketball coaches about a month ago. I get home from the funeral service, get on Facebook, and guess what I see? Every one of my schoolmates went out and celebrated coach's life after the funeral service. Not one soul told me. Does it hurt? Do I care? It hurts, but I don't care. Because the truth is this, and Jesus said it himself, take my yoke upon you. Give me the next verse, Zach. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. How many of you guys, when your mind is all scattered, brained, how many of you are nice? It's not a human characteristic. We just aren't nice. For me, it's my wife knows if I'm hungry. If I'm hungry and I have an elevated headache. If I'm hungry, I have an elevated headache and I'm tired. That's the trifecta. And I'm here to tell you, preachers don't have good attitudes all the time. We don't. But the fact is, if we're going to find rest for our soul, if we're going to not allow these things to string us out so far that it robs us 
of our joy and our peace and our strength, then what's the use of doing it in the first place? I mean, if all we're going to do is go out and allow our brains to remove every benefit that Jesus brings to the table, then why do it anyway? Seems like an awful lot of work just to turn around and hand off. The fact is, as people become aware of this, it literally is our choice. You want to live life afraid, scatterbrained, feeling like you're not going to get anything done, that everything's a mess and there's nothing you can do to clean it up? You have that right. Go ahead. But how much of a shame is it if we're individuals who allow our lives to be manipulated like that the whole time? Just like Jesus said in the previous verses, you have everything that you need to not feel the way you feel. And we'll actually turn around in some cases and blame God for our lives being the way that it is. I don't know about you, I don't need God to make my life a mess. He's quite the opposite. He's the only one who's been capable of coming in and cleaning it up after I've made a mess. You don't have to live the life that makes you want to pull your hair out. It doesn't mean that we become passive and we don't care anymore. Of course we care. The difference is we care about the things that God wants us to care about and we don't care about the things that God does not want us to care about. We worry about things we can't fix. We worry about things we can't change. Could you imagine being him? How frustrating would it be? A little honesty. Let's be a little honest. How many of you guys have sat in a room of people and given them a task that was very elementary, simple task, and they have to ask you 10 questions in order to get it done? I'm going to grant you, there's some people that need some special attention out there. Now, I'm not giving them a hard time by no means, but I can tell you that me as a human being have never responded well to that. I just haven't. I call it a lack of patience. For me, it's one of those, okay, we'll do it two or three times. My poor son, I mean, he's, he's already used his field dressing uh, card once. So it's going to come around. He's, next deer he kills, he's field dressing. He knows it. But I also know that he's going to be standing there going, is it, do I cut it here? Do I cut it here? Which is fine. But if we go to do the third one, and he starts asking me the same questions, I'm going to start clenching my teeth. And saying, so not head, would you get it? Pay attention. We don't serve a God who's like us. We serve a God who will stand there the entire time and go, Oh, you fall? Did that hurt? You want me to help you not let that happen again? Oh, no, no, you don't want my, okay, you don't want my help? Oh, oh, did you fall again? Do you want my help? And I could just see him standing up there all day long with some of us going, oh, man, that won't look like it hurt. I can help you with that. You sure you don't want to, oh, this is getting ridiculous, redundant. I mean, honestly, how long is it going to take you to figure out that what you're doing is not working? Turn around and walk this way. 
And I, I could picture him being a God who's like that with us up there. I guarantee you, there's at least four or five times a day. I joke all the time about people in the church and outside of the church making me go bald right here because I have to rub my head all the time. But I'll be shocked if I show up in heaven and God don't have those same bald strips. You want to be passionate. You want to be compassionate. You want the ability to feel. You want the ability to be able to know what it is that God wants us to know. But folks, we carry an awful lot of garbage around with us that we shouldn't be. And they say, oh, that's so cliche. People just say you need to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Well, it's truth. It's the truth. Anymore, I've gotten to where when I'm dealing with teenagers, teenagers will come to me all scatterbrained because of the things they're dealing with these days. First step, have them cut everything out that's not, that they can't affect. In most cases, it eliminates three quarters of the things. People worry about their health. What can you do to change that? I think it was $86 billion last year we spent on health and fitness aids in this country. And you know what? People still died. Everything Jesus is offering us takes the weight off of us. It's absolutely free. I get it. We're prideful. Humility is something that we're lacking. It's hard to let go. It's hard to ask God for help. But at some point, we've got to recognize who God is. How many of you guys had a mom that loved to cook? Do you ever walk in the house and her not offer you food? It's because she's your mom. Because she loves to cook. Because to her, that's her little square of life that she can offer you. And for everybody, they have that one thing that they do for people. And Jesus is sitting here saying, I can take it all. But you want to hear the kicker? He actually took it all 2,000 years ago. What you're carrying around on your shoulders is genuinely putting weight on your spine, but does not really exist. Figure that one out. Because every one of your worries he took. Every question, he answered. Every doubt, he fulfilled. He's shown us everything that he can be to us. He's proven himself over and over and over again. Why shouldn't we be like the people Jesus was talking to? If Tyre and Sidon had seen the miracles, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be better for them on the day of judgment than for you. Because when it comes right down to it, do you know who we are? We're exactly who we choose to be. It's a fact. You know why we treat people the way we treat them? Because it's the way we choose to treat them. We think about people the way we think about them because that's the way we choose to think about them. Everything in life is about choices. 
We choose to listen to God, reject God. When we reject God, are we taking weight off or adding? Adding. You get home at the end of the day, and you really never carried anything, but you're exhausted and wonder why. Because you may not have the backpack on, and there may not be straps that has it strapped to your back, but you're carrying an awful lot of weight. And Jesus does not expect us to carry all of it. It's wise to know what he does and what he doesn't. But he does not want us to carry it all. If you're here today and you, and you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never followed through in believer's baptism, I can't save you, but I'll spend whatever time necessary uh, to make sure that I clearly introduce you to the one that can. If you're here today and you're a believer, I want you to understand this, please. The life that Jesus Christ is offering to us is fully available. It requires us to be individuals who are willing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's hard to change. But we know that Jesus gave us the ability to do so. And every change is a positive when it comes to its effect. If you can't fix it, Pray about it. Throw it at the feet of Jesus and don't worry about it. So this time, the invitation time, spend the time that you need to with Jesus. And I can ask nothing more than for you to just be obedient to him. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.